The New Testament reading for this morning comes from the book of Acts, beginning in the second chapter at the first verse. Luke wrote about the day of Pentecost, and this is what he wrote. When the feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and without warning there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. And when they heard the sound, they came on the run. Then when they heard one after another their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on, and they kept saying, aren't all these Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. And they talked back and forth confused. What's going on here? Others joked they're drunk on cheap wine. And that's when Peter stood up and backed by the other 11, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And this is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red. Before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous, and whoever calls out for help to me, God, will be saved. And then the Gospel reading for this morning. It's in the 20th chapter of John, beginning at verse 19. It's short. This is the Pentecost experience I love. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, had locked all the doors in the house. And Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples, seeing the Master with their own eyes, were exuberant. And Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you, just as the Father sent me, I send you. And then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. 
If you don't forgive sins, what are you going to do with them? And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh God, for centuries the church has celebrated Pentecost, the powerful entrance of the Holy Spirit into the lives of ordinary human beings. And today we celebrate Pentecost once again, asking that you empower us to become real through the gift of the Holy Spirit. May your power fill this church and our lives fully, just as it has filled churches and people throughout the ages. Open our ears and our hearts to your word for us this day. Amen. You know, often the first real introductions that children are given to the magical world of insects is watching a caterpillar. That's right, today he has props. <laughs> if they are lucky, they're able to watch this thing as it spins a cocoon about itself until it is completely buried in a chrysalis. And the wonder of transformation is made real to children when days later, an entirely different creature, this goes to my point because we think it's easy, but it's not. <laughs> a beautiful butterfly emerges from the apparent lifeless shell. I need time-lapse photography. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you know, as children, I think we immediately focus on the delicate creature that emerges so mysteriously from the cocoon. But with the actual process inside the cocoon unseen, there's a lot of romance about a cocoon. A creepy, crawly caterpillar is transformed into a radiant, soaring butterfly. It just sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But forget it, please. Because for the caterpillar, there is nothing wonderful about it. You see, a caterpillar doesn't just turn into a butterfly. A caterpillar must undergo a molting and a metamorphosis. The dramatic silence of the cocoon in which the insect's being is totally changed. How funny it is that in today's world, the word cocoon has come to mean the exact opposite of what it means to be a caterpillar. Folks, a cocoon isn't safe. A cocoon is where a caterpillar risks it all, where it enters total chaos, where it undergoes total rebuilding, where it dies to one way of life and is reborn to a new way of living. A cocoon is where a caterpillar allows itself to disintegrate into a blob so that it can be reshaped into a beautiful, soaring 
butterfly. And only by the risk of entering that cocoon can the caterpillar go from slowly crawling along, getting fatter and fatter, to soaring. From ugliness to beauty, this is one reason, I think, why the butterfly is an authentic symbol of resurrection, not only because it is cute, but because it risks dying to be reborn to life. Now on Pentecost morning, the miracle of the Holy Spirit, I really believe, was not that of many different tongues. Remember, Paul goes on to explain, it's only a gift if you have others there who can translate it. The miracle of Pentecost was this. Pentecost power transforms. The presence of the Spirit bursts through old established boundaries. Holiness becomes available to all, even the fearful disciples. And it was preached loudly to all that would listen. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, split open the cocoon and sent the Holy Spirit soaring out into the world. Now the followers of Jesus, they're all gathered in one place, waiting and praying, and suddenly at the crack of dawn, there's an interruption of sound, the sound of a rushing wind. And things were being moved, they're being stirred up, they're being formed. And the first gift of the Spirit is the gift of speech, the power to speak good news. And here we all are, gathered in one place, just like the disciples were on the day of Pentecost, and the good news is spoken among us. It is read from Scripture. We have it expounded to us in Sunday school classes, in Bible studies, hopefully in sermons. We have a desire to speak the Word of God among us, and then we take that even beyond these walls. But then the scene changes from an upper room where the disciples are gathered to the street outside. And it's here that the miracles of tongues really happens. It is not in the tongue, it's in the ear. Somewhere along the way, Pentecost has become mistaken for just talking, speaking, jabbering. When the whole point of it, the whole point, is to be able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And as Luke describes it, everyone heard the gospel in their own language, and they were amazed. It's striking, I think, that Luke then gives a rather detailed description of the people who were in Jerusalem. You see, Luke describes the hearers before he presents Peter's sermon. Luke tells us that the spirit of Pentecost produces a desire. What does this mean? What does the gospel mean? Luke doesn't say, now, here's what we want to say. Let's figure out some way to get the people to hear it. We jump through windows. We could release balloons. We could get a beauty queen or a basketball star to come up and give a testimonial. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, there is no sermon until the people say, what does the gospel mean? There's no call to be Christian until someone says, what does the gospel mean? And I think that too is God's gift of the Spirit. The tongues of fire produce in the listener's ears the desire to say in their own languages, their own tongues, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? The power and excellence of who we are 
And what we represent as the church can only be realized by making known our desire for the gospel. Remember, it was Pentecost that people were moved to say we're excited because each of us has heard it's good news. Now tell us, what does it mean? What does it mean? Now these cocoons, they're self-contained little packets at risk. And if that frumpy, dumpy caterpillar didn't take the ultimate risk of recreation, something which can be experienced only in a cocoon, he'd never emerge as a butterfly. The way, and I know this sounds silly, but I believe it's true, the way to a transformed life, the safety of a transformed life, is found in risk. It is the same kind of risk that brought the disciples from the upper room to the street outside. You see, the disciples risked ridicule and punishment, even death, by proclaiming the gospel message out to that crowd in words that they could all easily understand. They took a chance and believed that the authority and power of the Holy Spirit would work through their words. It was a profound risk. But that proclamation brought into being the church as the new creation of God. And now, as I just had to read to you this morning, you know there's another Pentecost experience. Very soon after the resurrection, the disciples, out of fear, are still huddled together behind closed and locked doors. They were afraid. And in their fear, they went for the security blanket of isolation, closed doors. And folks, we are not that different. We're all tempted to lock our own doors out of fear of one another. And Jesus walks into the middle of the fear of his disciples and he breathes on them. And it was really that simple and really that profound. He merely breathed on them. Holy Spirit, resurrection breath. Can you even imagine? He doesn't change their outward experience, but he does transform their fear and isolation into something quite different. Throughout all of these stories, the gift of the Spirit is tied to wind and to movement. Be it a gentle breeze or a gust or a breath, we have talked in here before about the Hebrew word ruach that means both breath and wind and the understanding that accompanies such breath. One breathes in life in every inhalation. As the Spirit moved across the waters on the first day of creation, and so now the Spirit moves across the people in the new creation of the church breathed on them by Jesus, or blown in a strong breeze that fills a room or a valley of bones, all who are touched by it breathe in new life and the power of the Spirit. And finally this, the same Jesus said this, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is a gift that has been given to all of us assembled here. This weekend we will remember those near and dear to 
us who are now fully in the presence of God for eternity. We will also remember those who have fought and some who have died that we might have our way of life. Folks like you and me, full of dreams and hopes, full of life yet to be lived, and unbelievable potential. And as we revisit those places, those people, and as we remember, thankful for those who laid their lives aside for a time or forever to preserve ours, may we covenant together to keep this memory as a reminder that all life is precious and that life and potential for life have been sacrificed for us. We must always remember to tell our children and our children's children, because I believe it is one of the ways we work for a day when war is no more. I close with a poem penned by Robert Frost about taking time for visits. He wrote, even with many hills to hoe, a friend stops to talk. When a friend calls me from the road and slows his horse to a meaning walk, I don't stand still and look around at the hills I haven't hoed and shout to the road, what is it? No, not as there is a time to talk. I thrust my hoe in the mellow ground, blade up and five feet tall, and I plod. I go to the stone wall for a friendly visit. This is a weekend built for reflection. We are reminded of sacrifice of caterpillars and butterflies, disciples and us. It is a time to renew acquaintances and take time for friendly visits. What a privilege it is to be gifted with the Spirit, allowing each and every one of us to participate in the creativity of God. Tell somebody else about it.